Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney from How They Love Mary. And if you are looking for a great gift for confirmation or First Communion, might I recommend to you Sock Religious? I know someone that recently got confirmed. They chose St. Joseph as their confirmation saint. And I bought them a pair of St. Joseph socks from Sock Religious. They make the perfect gift. They are a fun gift and a gift that they will wear and hopefully they'll wear them to church. If you want more information about Sock Religious, Find the link in the show notes and help to support the show, How They Love Mary. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, I'm speaking with Kayla Harris, who is an assistant professor and also the library and archivist at the Marian Library in Dayton, Ohio, at the University of Dayton. When the pandemic started just one year ago, she started archiving all the different ways that Mary was referenced during the pandemic. And so now, one year later, let's see what role the Blessed Virgin Mary has had in our conversation today. So welcome, Kayla. Hi, great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you joining me. And, you know, listeners know probably a little bit about the Marian Library. I've talked about it somewhat. And I've had Brother Andrew Kosmowski on once. And, uh, of course, he was at the Marian Library for a while and is a great uh, advocate for the library there. But maybe for people who are unfamiliar with what the Marian Library is, it's such a unique story and place. Maybe could you just share a little bit about it? Sure. So um, I've been with the Marian Library for about four and a half years. And the Marian Library is one of the one of the largest collections of materials about Mary. And one thing that maybe people don't realize is that it's not just books. Um, we have a very large book collection, uh, materials that people in the Dayton area can check out. But also there are all these other parts of the collection, including um, artifacts, including artwork, statues, rosaries, holy cards, postcards, um, just kind of a lot of the objects of um, people expressing their Marian devotion. And so as the archivist, I manage the archival collections, which includes, uh, like I said, some of the, the artifacts um, and really things that document kind of popular Marian devotion. So we kind of have that two-sided approach where we have the scholarship side. Um, we work really closely with an institute called the International Marian Research Institute, which is also at the University of Dayton. And they're the, the true kind of scholars and theologians on Mary. And then the Marian Library is kind of what supports some of that research. So the, the scholarly aspect, as well as documenting popular devotion to Mary. So I'm a member of the Mariological Society of America. Right now I serve as their vice president and whatnot. So I know that there is this great relationship that the MSA has. Of course, with Emory, lots of the members went through Emory and also a lot of them research at the Marian Library. I myself went down to Dayton uh, just a few years ago to get some research that I needed for a project that I was working on and was very much in debt to many of the people there who even they, you know, you guys went through and you got all of the 
the research materials that I needed. So all I had to do was come in, look at it, scan what I needed, and go on my merry way so that I could write about the Blessed Virgin. So um, it, it was a great resource for me. And you guys have a website too, all about Mary, which people can go and they can learn lots of different things. You know, if you have different questions about Mary, I'm sure that they've been addressed there. So lots of different resources that the Marian Library makes available to so many people. Yeah, we really want to emphasize that it's both the, the scholarly side of things, you know, like I said, you're writing, but also just it's it's for everyday Catholics, you know, people who are interested in learning more about Mary, there's not like a, a a skill level that you have to have to come in and do research. It's for everyone. And one of the highlights of the Marian Library, I think, is that in around the Christmas season, they actually have a nativity crash collection. And so all of these different crashes. And there's this one that really tells the story of salvation history all the way from Adam and Eve to Christ's birth and, and leads you probably, if I remember right, even to the crucifixion and whatnot. So really telling the story of the life of Christ in one of those crashes. And Father Johann Roten has been the big pioneer behind that uh, as well. So lots of ways that you mentioned, not just books, but so much more that people can take in. And there's a lot of stuff virtual these days. I, I can't imagine lots of people are going there, but you've kind of upped your ante, I bet, with some uh, virtual presentations and such. Would that be right? Yeah. Um, you know, the nativities that you mentioned. So normally in non-COVID times, there's a large kind of community-based exhibit that the Marian Library does each Advent season displaying the creches. And unfortunately, we weren't able to do that this year um, based on restrictions of gatherings, etc. But we made a digital exhibit, for example. So um, there is an exhibit, and it's still online um, on our website at uh, udayton.edu slash Marion Library. Um, an exhibit showing um, some of the, the paper nativity. So a lot of our things that we normally programming and events to do in person, we kind of had to pivot and do that online this year. And for the hopefully near foreseeable future. Hopefully someday we'll be able to return back to some of those in-person things. Definitely. You know, there have been a few different offerings I know that I've wanted to drive the 10 hours to go down and be a part of, but I didn't. But it's a great resource, of course, for people in Ohio, but also all over the country and many different ways people can find it. Now, one of the projects you undertook then at the beginning of the pandemic, when last year, March 17th, really, St. Patrick's Day, everything begins to shut down throughout the country. We go into safer at home mentality, 14 days to stop the curve, all of these things. Um, and now we're one year after the fact, people are getting vaccinated. I received both vaccinations and COVID numbers are going down right now. But what motivated you at the beginning, at the onset of this pandemic to say, let's look at Mary and see how she's going to play in this role uh, during the pandemic? So... Before that March 17th day, and I think it was maybe like the first week in March, um, I was working with an undergrad class. Um, from, it was an English class, and the class focused on the rhetorics of nar narrative rhetorics in medicine. So it was tying kind of this um, how people tell stories about health and how that ties into um, kind of medicine and outcomes. And so that seems like kind of a weird 
uh, topic to be working with in the Marian Library, but we were using materials from the Lord's Shrine in France. So we have in the Marian Library these collections of historical um, photographs and even some kind of copies of translated case files about all these pilgrims who would travel to Lourdes to seek healing and um, kind of their, their story and their journey. And we read an article um, describing, that was kind of an intro to the, to the English students about what Lourdes was and why people go there. And at that time, like the world hadn't quite shut down, <laughs> um, at least in the United States, but coronavirus was making headlines in Europe. And one, the article mentioned how, because we really focused on the baths at Lourdes, and the article mentioned how the assistants who help the people into the water at Lourdes will drink a cup of the water as a sign of their faith that, you know, they are not afraid of catching an illness through this water, that they believe in the healing power. And the student's reaction at this time was like, what is going to happen there? Because they were hearing about coronavirus over in Europe and we were hearing about it in Italy. And um, so they started kind of wondering aloud, like, what's what's going to happen next? And so that was kind of what got me thinking. Um, and it was just, you know, that subsequent week that the students were sent home on spring break and they didn't get to return. And we started going into the, the lockdown measures. Um, but that's where I started kind of doing some, some researching about, we had these great primary source historical documents from Lords about kind of what that experience was like and thinking about what are the researchers of tomorrow gonna have to examine this time. And so um, that's kind of what got me started. Um, thinking about how we are going, how the Marian Library is going to be able to represent what Marian devotion looked like during this crazy time. Definitely. And, you know, one of the things I'm sure the first thing you found probably was that our Holy Father Pope Francis wrote a prayer, a prayer for protection from coronavirus. And, you know, uh, it, it has many different titles to Mary in it. For example, he, we entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick, you, the salvation of the Roman people, the, the Salus Romano Popoli. Uh, also this mother of divine love. So there's lots of different titles he used in his prayer, some theology he brings out talking about Cana of Galilee, that we might, you know, go from joy and feasting and return to that moment after this trial. He uses kind of that language of the prayer, um, the subtuum prayer. You know, we we seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do that is the, the subtuum prayer. So he includes that prayer, which he also uh, asked to be recited during the month of October at the end of the Holy Rosary. So to pray the prayer to St. Michael and the subtuum at the end of the Holy Rosary. Um, you know, so he gave us this prayer. And I know lots of people have prayed this prayer. Some places pray it daily after after Mass. I say a lot of Masses for relevant radio, and uh, Father Rocky wrote his own prayer to Our Lady Health of the Sick, and so as one of the pre-celebrants for relevant radio, I'm saying that prayer often at the end of Mass, and so that was kind of their, their way to pray for the end of the pandemic, for the restoration of society, and so forth. So I'm sure those are some of the things you initially found, but then I bet there was so much more as well. So what did you find then in this process of research? 
So I think um, <clears throat> the project is kind of two sides of it. And the one side is I asked people to send me their kind of personal stories, photographs, um, anything about their, their devotion. And then the other side of it is the web archiving aspect. And that's where I was kind of finding articles um, like the one you mentioned, um, discussing kind of what's happening across the world with Mary. And so on the first side of it, of people submitting stuff, um, some of the, the th submissions we got that will are now part of our archival collections and will you know show this Marian devotion were really interesting and kind of um, illustrate the way the pandemic has changed throughout this year. So back when um, you know back in March when this first started, you know there was the issue of mass and shortage of mass and hospitals started putting out calls for people to sew masks because they didn't have enough PPE. And so one of the submissions that we had um, was by a woman, Danielle Lair from Pennsylvania. And she wrote in how the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia put out a call for masks. And her, her mother, her sister, and her aunt, they had bought this fabric um, several years before. She said it was just, you know, at Walmart in a bin, but it stuck out to her because it was Our Lady of Guadalupe. And she bought it and she put it aside and just kind of thought this will be for some special project someday. And so when, when that call from the children's hospital came out about making masks, her, her mother and her sister came back to her and said, this is it. This is what you should be doing with it. And so they made um, 70 masks that they donated to the hospital. And she submitted some photos um, that we have on our website of these Our Lady of Guadalupe masks. And just kind of, you know, it gave her this um, sense of purpose that this image was going to protect healthcare workers. Um, we also had um, a submission that came in of some photographs from a woman, Mia Abalo, in the Philippines. And she shared this photographs of this arrangement, kind of like an altar um, of images of Mary um, that she had created. And she wrote, Dunga in Filipino means looking out the window. This practice was done not only because people cannot go out of the house to engage in relig religious activities, but this also is an invocation of the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints whose images are put near the window in a manner that they are looking out as an act of request slash appeal for God to help us. And so that was really interesting seeing Mary, um, you know, being invoked in that way. Um, then, you know, as, as the, the time at home kind of extended, we had... Um, more submissions. Uh, there was a, a University of Dayton alumni who sent in something about um, she, along with a friend, had started this um, kind of study group and it included Mary Mondays. And so they were doing um, these virtual, virtual Zoom sessions. You know, everything is on Zoom now. Um, and they had like a, a virtual May crowning event back in the spring. So kind of these different things show the evolution of, of how things have changed um, throughout the pandemic. At the beginning, it was a lot of um, on kind of the other side of things where I'm finding stuff on the internet, um, a lot of stories about the ways that practices had to change or evolve. Um, you know, Catholic, Catholic devotion in general is really material. And so um, things like 
kissing statues. <laughs> um, sure. You know, kind of like like that coronavirus story about drinking the water. Um, there were a lot of articles about the practice of religious statue kissing and how you know churches would have to erect these benches in front of statues to prevent people who um, would go and, and kiss the statues. Um, so yeah, just, and then, you know, there's also kind of the, the social media side of it, um, which I'm fortunate that some of my colleagues were able to forward stuff on to me, but, um, you know, there's kind of the institutional side of things, these larger scale events, but then also just what is the everyday Catholic doing differently? Um, there was some, uh, some tweets about that showed, um, a statue of the Virgin Mary on top of a car that was being driven through the streets in Ireland. And someone was mm. reciting the hail Mary via loudspeaker. So things like that, that um, are kind of grassroots, you know, on the ground types of events. <laughs> yeah. So you say a few things there that I just want to comment on, for example, like the Filipino and putting Mary at the window and having her look out or something like that. You know, that's kind of like, it seems silly, but it's a little custom. In fact, right here in my office, I have two statues of Mary in the window. And I once heard, oh, you put a statue of Mary in the window so that your house will be protected from storms or anything like that. So, you know, to take that to the next extension, well, from the coronavirus and the fathers of uh, the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, the Divine Mercy Priests out in Stockbridge, they were all about putting the image of divine mercy on your door so kind of to dispel the plague from from the book of exodus for example so you have that you have that expression of devotion and one of the things you said was about the evolution of devotion how it changed but i think what's important is that it still continued that people still wanted to do that may crowning even if it was participating with something on zoom on a virtual presentation they still wanted to be involved and to have that devotion. So it shows how important that was. It'd be really easy. And, you know, this is kind of the fear, I think, of the church is that people have been doing virtual masses. They People aren't comfortable yet coming back to in-person mass. And so there's the fear that maybe they're going to not come back to church. But then you see these other expressions. Well, they were praying the rosary. There's a group that started praying the rosary on Saturdays during COVID that I know of. And so that's a way that they've continued their expression of faith. So I think that gives us the hope is that as we've seen devotion play out, well, then they're going to come back to Sunday Mass. So it's great that you've kind of cataloged all this and have given us so many great examples. Yeah, it's definitely been really inspiring um, seeing the ways that people have adapted. You know, some of the people who have written to me, um, like with that Zoom example, they were like, oh, we're not experts at the technology and this isn't the greatest. But but the point is they're doing it. And that's sure. what is exciting. You mentioned tweets and how some things went out there on social media. And, you know, that kind of gave uh, a greater awareness of all these different practices that were happening. I do remember a few months ago, maybe, I don't know, four or five, six months ago now, there was this very controversial tweet that an, a bishop, maybe in Australia, if I'm not mistaken, um, that there was, a, he tweeted out this image of Our Lady and Jesus with a mask on, and people were just flabbergasted by that. And it went all around social media 
um, about you know how that was a terrible image. So so we see it also for good, and then you see kind of. And now I'm not making any statement about that image. I actually kind of thought, well, you know, I think that they would have been a part of the times that they would have done what was asked. You know, Joseph was a very obedient person. That uh, he did everything in obedience to the law. He was obedient to an angel. So maybe you know that would have been a model of obedience for them to do that. Now people were upset because you know Jesus spits on the ground and cures people's eyes and opens their ears and all of these things. So like you, he shouldn't be worried about spreading the corona in this image. You know, so so we do see kind of the negative banter that could come also um, from depictions uh, of the saints and such uh, during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Yeah, there was, I mean, I, I remember reading about that not too long ago. And even before that, I had seen several other depictions of the Virgin Mary and Jesus, you know, with masks on or sometimes just the Virgin Mary. There was this, um, oh, this graffiti in Spain, graffiti, um, you know, done with like spray paint. Um, but it showed the Virgin Mary with a mask on in front of the of coronavirus in the background. Um, and you know, from my perspective, I just kind of collect the stuff. It's up to the the people using it to kind of evaluate it and think about it. But um, yeah, definitely lots of depictions of, of Mary uh, with masks or without. And then the other thing too with the social media is you saw how certain places used it to their advantage, how they capitalized on this moment. I think one of the great examples is the Marian Shrine in Knock, Ireland. Uh, Father Richard Gibbons is the rector there. I had him on back at the Feast of Our Lady of Knock in August uh, to talk a little bit about Knock itself. And then we talked about their ministry during COVID, but every day they were praying the rosary at seven o'clock in Ireland. And, you know, whatever time that was here in America, I'd see it come on and I would sometimes tune in. And there would be hundreds of people that were watching the the rosary from Knock. And I can't help but think that in the in the sanctuary in Bono, Belgium, this other Marian apparition site of 1933 by Maria Becco, they've prayed the rosary every day at seven o'clock, even during world wars at the sanctuary. So I'm sure that that prayer of the rosary continued on during the pandemic in some way, shape, or form, because they didn't want to break that unprecedented mark of daily praying the rosary at Mary's shrines. So I think we see kind of how the shrines came out. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting. We started with Lourdes. And how is it, you know, will they ever go back to the communal bath option? How did they adapt? Do you just sprinkle with the Lourdes water? What do you do now? And how, you know, and then it's kind of like, well, what's God going to do? If God is facilitating healings through Lourdes waters, well, then God is going to adapt in a sense to these new changes. God, I know God is unchanging and all of that, but in terms of how the, ma- the miracles or the graces are manifested will be different now uh, in this post-COVID-19 world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first seeing the, the headlines at Lourdes about closing the baths, and then they you know transitioned to some of these um, virtual pilgrimages because one of the um the kind of articles i'd captured after the lords was you know they were closing the baths but their their website had this headline the pilgrimage season is not in question and that i think also speaks to that kind of early spring moment where when we first started closing things down 
there was the hope, maybe the naive hope that things would open back up shortly after. And so things were being postponed, not canceled. Um, And so being able to show that like, well, even Lords thought that they were going to, the pilgrimage in the, in the late spring was still going to happen. And then of course that got updated and um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For better or worse, you know, the Marion shrine in Champion, Wisconsin, which I live 25 minutes from um, they continued operations in a very restricted way. Of course, we had the times in which public masses weren't celebrated. So they did mass via YouTube and Facebook Live or whatever. And then, but they would still hear daily confessions and they were doing rosary processions outside or the grounds were open so that people could come and pray. Maybe only in an outdoor atmosphere. You know, I can't recall the exact specifics, but they were one of the only ones that I know of that kind of just pressed on uh, to a certain degree uh, in, in terms of how they lived out the the faith expression at their shrine. Now, I'm wondering, kind of as we've looked over the past year, like I mentioned earlier, Pope Francis gave us this prayer that he wrote, others have written prayers. Were there a lot of prayers to the Blessed Virgin composed during the COVID-19 time? Have you come across a lot of different prayers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been surprising how many. Um, so there's kind of that that famous one um, that you mentioned um, that happened back at, in the beginning of March. But there's been several others, and um, you know, special novenas that have been written. Um, lots. It's kind yeah, of hard to sure, to definitely, yeah. And I'll even add my own two contributions to Mary and the COVID was that I wrote a set of rosary mysteries um, during the COVID nineteen pandemic, like just kind of with intercessions for each one and kind of living the rosary mystery in the midst of a pandemic as well. So I had that that was, I think, on Catholic exchange. And then I adapted, I wrote a litany for the Shrine and Champion, Our Lady of Good Help. I I wrote the original litany to Our Lady of Good Help for their use at their shrine. And then they, um, I, I adapted it to COVID nineteen. So different healing titles of Mary and different petitions, you know, asking Mary to help us or to help them uh, related to the COVID nineteen pandemic. So, so even I made a, a very minor contribution to the prayers. Did you come across preaching? Were there good homilies that were submitted by priests about Mary and the pandemic? Not anything submitted directly by priests, um, but one one thing that someone did submit to me was um, I'm trying to let me look at my notes of where she was from because I want to get this correct. Um, she was from San San Marcos, Texas. Um, she said there was her name was Lisa. She created a blog called the Quarantine Catholic, um, and and that was really interesting because when I first started thinking about like what are people doing with their devotion during this lockdown. Um, and that was kind of what I was envisioning, what I was thinking that someone out there must be doing. Um, she submitted the, it this fall, um, but she compiles resources. So um, links to prayers, homilies, videos, and you know, with that intended goal of people deepening their Catholic faith during, during time of lockdown. So that was really interesting to see this kind of compiled um, resource. 
Well, that's great. She was able to get that name to be able to put it out there. And, uh, you know, that's, but that's what people are looking for to see how it is people lived during this time and really at that time to give guidance to people. And, you know, maybe this person made videos and they wrote stuff. And uh, I'm sure it was a great resource to so many. And uh, people will look back now, it'll be a part of history in a sense. And uh, maybe it'll just keep going forward. Uh, uh, maybe she'll rebrand with it or something like that. But what a, a wonderful conversation we've had today about Mary during the COVID-19. You know, I've I've thought about this question quite a bit. And when I became aware through Brother Andrew about your work with it, I, I was very interested in one day talking with you about it. And I thought maybe it would make for a good one-year anniversary of COVID. And, and so here we are. It is the one-year anniversary of COVID. So um, I just want to commend you for the idea to catalog this and to um, put it all together. Now, what what do you plan to do with it all? I know there was kind of a short thing that I saw that was um, published. It was only like two pages, though. But is, is there going to be something, a, a greater work that you you think will be published? Yeah, I hope so. Well, so first, I just want to mention, you know, even though we're at the one year anniversary, I'm still interested in hearing from, you know, any of your listeners, for example, if they have personal stories or larger stories about Marian devotion during this time. Um, I'm still interested in, in collecting them. So they can always email me at marianlibrary at udayton.edu. Um, and then the hope is, uh, you know, maybe this will be turned into an exhibit or a, um, a sure. larger presence on our website. Like you said, right now, it's just kind of a short abbreviated like highlights section um, we have a lot more than what's on there right now, um, but we hope it will be a, a resource for, for people to look back on. Well, that's great. Well, I commend you for the wonderful work you've done. It's inspiring to me, and I loved talking with you today about it. Now, one of the things I always do to end the show is simply to ask a few questions about Mary in your own life. And uh, so, you know, like, what is your favorite Marian title, for example? So you're exposed to so many different titles of the Blessed Mother. We know she's a woman of many names. Is there a title that speaks to you? Oh. That's a good question, but I don't know if I have a favorite. Um, you like I, them all. I'm a mother. Yeah. Well, so I'm a mother of, of three, uh, three boys, and it is really interesting working in the Marian Library, just being kind of surrounded by Mary on a, at a daily basis and the learning about the different titles of her and seeing all these different depictions of her. So it is really hard to kind of pick a favorite. Sure. And, you know, I think, you know, well, Paul VI wrote this in Mary Owl's Cultus that, you know, that the modern woman can look to Mary as an example. And so one of the ways you're able to do that is to really look to her as a mother and to realize, well, she carried Christ just as you carried your children, that she raised the Christ child, that she had all those moments just as she treasured them all. So do you treasure uh, those moments of, of Christ's life? When it comes to the rosary, is there a rosary tip that you have encountered maybe through the Marian Library that can help people pray the rosary better? Hmm. I've, so one of the other areas that I work on in the Marian Library, we have this collection um, called the John Stokes and Mary's Garden Collection. Oh, yeah. And, and so... Um, I guess kind of my 
my short answer tip would be um, being in nature. Um, something about being outside, um, you're able to connect on a, a deeper level, I think, than, than maybe inside sometimes. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the Mary Garden. And now as you say that, it makes me think I need to do a little episode on that. And I, I know that Sister Jean Frisk had written the foreword or a preface or introduction to that Polish lady's book, Mary's Flowers. Um, so, mm -hmm. so that would be a great episode. But yeah, you mentioned Mary Gardens, the idea that there are all these different flowers that have a Marian connection to them. And, and so some people make a Mary garden with their Mary statue. So that is one of those expressions of devotion uh, that people have. But I, too, enjoy praying the rosary outside to do so in nature along a trail and so forth. Definitely. You mentioned Lourdes. That's one of Mary's apparitions. And you're, you've probably been exposed to a lot of the different Marian apparitions through the Marian Library. Is there one apparition where maybe the story or the message resonates with you? Um, I think um, Bowring is really interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, definitely. Mine, me too. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Well, just so I mean, a lot of the apparitions, um, you know, involve children. And um, I don't know, um, that one, I think speaks to me in a, a way I'm not really sure how to describe. And then the other one, so kind of two, I guess, would be um, Our Lady of Cabejo. Um, yeah. That's something that I'm really interested in. There's a kind of devoted following here in, um, in Ohio in the Cincinnati region. And it's one that's not as well known and not as well talked about. So those two, um, for kind of different reasons, are both really interesting and appealing to me. Yeah, it's interesting you say Bahrain. I went there in 2015 in Belgium, and uh, I, I was doing some research in Belgium for a project, and I, I was just really enamored by that apparition of Our Lady going to that shrine. It was very simple in a sense. Um, they, they did have you know one of those big auditorium churches, but the 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 main chapel or the the principal chapel of devotion was just a very small, quaint place. But I think that the messages Mary spoke in Boring they were so simple always be good, pray always. You know, she just spoke so tenderly to these children. And when I was there, I actually met Gilbert Dejembray, the last living visionary, and she died like a month later, two months later. And so I wrote uh, I wrote a piece and right after the uh, Belgian attack in, in um, the terrorist attack at the airport where, where half the airport was blown up, uh, I wrote a piece about listening to Mary's message from Borang and Bano and how they needed it. And that went like, I wrote that in 20 minutes. It went viral. It was like the most read article on this website that I contribute to. But it's a, a very powerful message, Borang. I was very touched by it myself. So I love that you, you mentioned that. And uh, you're surrounded with lots of Marian books at the Marian Library. Is there one book that you've come across that you would recommend that, that you would say, this is a must-read book about Mary? Oh, I don't know. That's probably too hard. That's too hard. <laughs> that's, that's because too hard. you live in the Marian book world, so you couldn't answer that question. Yeah, no, I couldn't. <laughs> Sure. And, and I know that, you know, Father Thomas Thompson, he was, he's a great, you know, scholar of music. He loves music and Mary and whatnot. Have you come across a Marian song that you find inspiring? So 
So you're giving me all the very hard questions at the end. It's I know, it's hard. Right? <laughs> I mean, when you're when when uh, you know we have a lot of sheet music and, and music in the collection that I work with daily, so it's kind of hard to pick favorites with some of these. Um, yeah, definitely. No, I totally understand. <laughs> so it's like asking me, who's you know kind of like a Marian apparition scholar, that uh, what's your favorite Marian apparition? And like you know, I've done so much on the champion apparition where it's like, well, if I don't answer champion, people will be scandalized. But it's like I really love Lourdes. I love Lourdes. You know, I've been there several times, and I love Boré. You know, it's really hard always to answer with just one answer. So, well, those are, are exactly. just some of the questions I wanted to ask you just about Mary in general from your own experience at the Marian Library. And we've had such a great conversation. I've enjoyed this thoroughly. And uh, I hope that COVID ends soon so that such a project we d doesn't need to be uh, cataloged much longer. So we do pray along with Pope Francis and so many others uh, through the intercession of Mary. Uh, that this pandemic will come to an end. And we ask her intercession as the health of the sick and her spouse as the hope of the sick to pray for all those suffering with COVID right now. So thanks so much, Kayla, for joining me today. And maybe just lastly, um, can you just give out some links again that people might want to check out to learn more about you or the Marion Library? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so the Marion Library's website uh, is fairly simple. It's udayton.edu slash Marion Library. And on that homepage, um, there is a link right on that homepage to a little, um, that kind of short abbreviated highlights of some of the collections I mentioned. I think the link says documented devotion during COVID-19. Um, there's nice. also a link on there to the, the Marion Library email. So, um, and it, there's a link about the kind of call I put out to collect stuff. So people are welcome to look at that, as well as from that main webpage, it'll link to the All About Mary website that you mentioned earlier, where people can go just to, you know, browse, browse questions about Mary. Um, so yeah, definitely check out the website. There's a lot of resources on there and some of our kind of digital programming that shifted online during this time. Great. Well, thanks so much for being with me today, for sharing all of this wealth of information that you have. And I encourage people to go check it out. And you can catch us next time for the next episode of How They Love Mary. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of How They Love Mary and that you took away something from my conversation today with our guest. If you would like to continue this conversation, I'd like to invite you to join the How They Love Mary Facebook group page. It's a discussion group so that not only do we learn from the guests, but we can begin to learn from one another what we took away from each episode and how we are inspired to love the Blessed Virgin Mary more. You can find a link for the Facebook group in the show notes. You can also search for it on Facebook. And while you're there on social media, follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. I look forward to discussing this podcast and many more episodes with you in the future. I hope that you'll tune in again next week for another riveting conversation about our faith and our Blessed Mother.